Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with this insight on eternity. What will the beam of the seat of Christ reveal about your life and mine? Will it reveal that as Christians, we live for ourselves rather than the will and purposes of God? You see, a life that is not in service to God may be a saved one, but it's a wasted life. This is what you want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. For it doesn't matter. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Growing up, our behavior was pretty much dictated by our parents. But once we got a little older, we gained a little more confidence in our decision-making, though not always for the better. In fact, given the opportunity, most of us would choose destruction if it were not for the intervention of the gospel. Well, today, Pastor Xavier helps us examine the lives of those who choose to live by the simple truths of God's Word and those who continue to live in rebellion. Let's listen. From the search of the fountain of youth by Ponce de Leon to produce eternal youth, to the freezing of bodies that they might revive you when they find the cure, man is very aware of his, the harsh reality that he is aging and dying. He's finite like the blade of the grass it fades and he does everything to try to escape it or to mask it people who do not know God today lose heart being discouraged about aging their bodies we begin as grapes I told you we end up like raisins but Christians can fall into this trap also uh, the overconcern over cosmetic surgery is a billion-dollar industry. You get in a car wreck, you need some cosmetic surgery, have at it. You've had cancer, you need some reconstruction, breast surgery, have at it. But other than that, do you think God made a mistake on the nose He gave you? The body? We have to be careful. And yet there's nothing wrong with caring for your body. But we don't live for the body. You want to care for your body. Now, the Apostle Paul is bearing his heart, as you know, this is an incredible letter, before the Corinthians, as to his ministry, in that his hope is not in this world, nor in this life, but rather in the one to come, in view of the resurrection. Chapter 5, 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul declared his absolute confidence that the second he died, he would be instantly present, listen, in heaven. Look at verse 1. Now he uses two metaphors, notice, for our physical body to indicate its temporal existence. The first phrase is our earthly house. The second is a tent. Again, implying the temporal state of our body. And he'll bring it up in verse 4 again. The word is used for Paul. He was a tent maker in Acts 18.3, remember. That's how he made his living. So being a tent maker, he is, takes this illustration which would be forever... Known. When you go buy a new tent and they give it to you, you are persuaded they have given you short poles. Because the canvas is so tight, so thick. But every time you go out and you camp, it gets a little looser, a little stretched out. One day you pull so hard that it rips, and that's the first sign that you're going to have to get a new one pretty soon. If you're a serious camper, you might go 8, 10, 12 years with a good tent. But not forever. It's temporary. 
Notice this earth house, this tent, will one day be destroyed. The word destroyed means to loose, to, literally to loosen down, to, to loosen the ropes and the pegs of this tent. Death is appointed to all men once, and then the judgment, Hebrews 9.27, there is no exception. The word there if, in our verse, in verse 1, at the beginning, is better translated, since, for all will die. No one does not die. <laughs> now notice, Paul stated God has given to each of us a body for our existence in heaven also. Here's another contrast. Earth, now heaven. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He assured the believer of a future transition to heaven after death. He confirmed the heavenly nature of this body. Right here. The context of our text is confined to the resurrected body after our physical body on earth dies and the tent is dismantled. This body is said to be from. That word from is the word ek. Out from God. In contrast to out from man through sexual intercourse and conception of a man and a woman and a child comes forth. Here's the contrast. The body is not made with hands. Referring to human origin. This body is eternal in heaven. And then in verse 2 through 4, notice the Apostle Paul declared his absolute confidence that he would never be in any in-between state. Now he's already said in verse 1, the minute I die, I'm instantly present in heaven. Everybody have that? He wants to make sure they don't misunderstand him. There's a lot of commentators who believe Paul changed his theology regarding the resurrection and end times. Because they don't understand this passage. He's not telling them here anything he hasn't told in 1 Corinthians 15. Same thing. Notice here, in verse 2, he described the anticipation of the believer to be clothed with their new body from heaven. He says, for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. The groaning of the believer is after the heavenly body. Not to escape, but to attain the earnest desire is sincere longing after this eternal body. It's because we're born again. We didn't groan for this new body before we were born again. In fact, we worship this body. The result of being spiritually alive is that we now long to be clothed, which means to put on over the first body, an heiress tense, one time, the resurrected glorified body. Usually you take a coat off to put another one on. You take a shirt up, another one. Here the Greek is, you put it over the one that is here. So the glorified by this body will be clothed with the glorified fashion, the body of Jesus. Look at verse 3. He confirms we shall not be found in an in-between state. He wants to make sure he's understood. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. The word if... Does not indicate doubt, but affirmation. Translation, since, indeed. There will be a time in the future when God will raise this body that will be put to the ground. And it will be raised in a glorified fashion. The certainty in view of the future. The word naked there again is a disembodied state. The Greeks believed in disembodied spirits. 
The Corinthians had some weird ideas about the resurrection, as you know. They were baptizing for the dead and denying it in 1 Corinthians 15 there. We groan desiring to be clothed with our glorified body. So, the minute you die as a Christian, you're instantly present in heaven. Verse 1. But you're waiting for your body. Your body is put to the ground and your spirit and soul go to be with God. And what shape and form are you in heaven? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But you're not naked. Okay? It's real simple. Look at verse 4. Paul clarified the statement so as to not be misunderstood. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, again naked, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. He has been talking about death from the beginning of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 10, 2, 14, 3, 7, 4, 16, and 18. He says that the groaning and burden while in this tent is not to be unclothed or in an in-between state without a body. He says it is to be clothed, implying the body from God in heaven. He describes here the event as mortality, swallowing up by life, which means this temporal state that we are in, battling sin and everything else will be over by the glorified body. Once you die, you're in heaven and you're waiting for your resurrected body. We'll see this as we move along. Now, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 56. Very clear. The Greeks again saw the body as a prison for the soul and the spirit. And only death would liberate it. This should not be a Christian perspective. And yes, it is today in many churches. Your body is God's temple. is the instrument by which God is using you. Regardless of what state you're in. Whether you are in a coma... Whether you're crippled, your body is a temple of God. Your spirit and soul are not in prison in that body. You're there by appointment. God is the one who releases your spirit. Therefore, regards of the spirit is God who determines when he releases your spirit. The practice and acceptance of euthanasia and suicide is not Christian. It's a pagan doctrine. There's only five or six occurrences of suicide in the Bible. All of them were not walking with God. It's not a Christian practice. Listen, we had a messed up life. Now we have hope in Christ. Why would I want to take my life? If I do, then I'm acting like a pagan, right? It's real simple. Now look at verse 5 through 7. The Apostle Paul declared his absolute confidence that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. So now he said heaven, now he says with the Lord. And then Paul noticed, declared in 6 and 7, his confidence about two dwelling states of the believer. He's not being repetitious purposely to bore us, but that we understand what he's saying so he's not misunderstood here. He understood the present state of being at home in the body as temporal and earthly. They were waiting for the Lord to come for them, either in the rapture or by death to be instantly present before the Lord. 
If they died first, they would have to wait for the resurrected body. If they're raptured, they receive it as they go up. And we'll see that the bodies of the dead are raised at the same time. Now, in verse 7, he understood the present dwelling in this tent, this earthly house, was a life of faith, not sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith indicates our trust and dependency on the message and promises of the gospel. God's revelation. We are pilgrims and sojourners that die in faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen. By what we have believed. What has transformed us. What we are waiting for. Now notice in verse 8. Paul declared the true longing desire of the believer to go to heaven. We are confident, yes, well, please rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. This is our desire. But we don't take our lives. We're not escapists. We know that God will determine that day, right? The obvious implication are affirmed here and firmly established. Listen, that when he died, he had a building from God in heaven. Verse 1. That he desired his building from God and habitation from heaven. Verse 2. That he would not be found naked, unclothed, or an in-between state. Verse 3 and 4. That God was the source giving the down payment of the Spirit while they waited, walking by faith. Verse 5 through 7. That he would rather be in heaven than earth. Verse 8. There was no doubt about Paul believing that the second that he died, he would be instantly present in heaven before the Lord, waiting to receive his glorified body. No doubt. Voltaire in his deathbed, a French atheist that declared that he was going to wipe out Christianity, addressed his doctor, quote, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months life. The doctor replied, sir, you cannot live six weeks. Voltaire replied, then I shall go to hell and you with me. Soon after he died. You really don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. It's a choice. But that choice is made before you die. Not after. Paul taught the Corinthians that we will plant this old body one day in the ground. This ugly bull will have a relationship to the new but not a likeness. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35-38. You've done this. You've gone to Lowe's or wherever it is. You get some balls and you plant it and and pops up a beautiful flower. Now dig that up. Cut it at the stem. Put the beautiful flower on one side. The ball is ugly on the other side. There's no likeness, but there sure is a relationship. We are looking for God to transform our lowly bodies to be conformed to His glorious body. Philippians 3, 20-21. What a great hope, isn't it? Now notice verse 9 and 10, the perspective regarding their final judgment. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul concluded that based on these evident truths, he and his companions live diligently to please God. Listen to his words. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Then notice still in 9, Paul revealed their passionate love for Jesus Christ. 
The commitment is indicated by the word aim, which means ambition or to strive earnestly. Jesus was the focus of their life as their Lord and Master. The word contains the idea of affection and honor, complete devotion and loyalty. Their character is indicated by the phrase, whether present or absent. Be they in their earthly house, this tent, that was this cane, the cane, and he was always beheaded, even to ultimate death. Be they in heaven, before the Lord. In other words, Paul is indicating that they live as if they were already in heaven, while being on earth. It didn't matter to him. Notice their goal was indicated to be well-pleasing to him. Paul made no distinction in honoring and pleasing God, be it in the physical body on earth, or in heaven waiting for his glorified body. That's quite a statement. He confirmed that he looked at the things that are not seen. Then in verse 10, notice the Apostle Paul gave the reason for his conclusion. We must all ultimately give an account to the Lord for our lives as Christians. Paul declared every believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says, the judgment is not for salvation. By the way, we are saved by grace through faith. That's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The judgment seat is for accountability for what we've done in our lives for Christ as Christians. The word must, underline it. Necessary obligation. No Christian is excluded. There's no exception. The phrase judgment seat, bima, is a platform measuring four feet by three feet, two feet high. The Greek law court would provide such a platform for the accuser and one for the accused. And Paul was brought before Galileo in Acts 18.3 at such a platform where the Jews had accused him. The Grecian games at Athens provided such a platform also for the judges. They would sit there and they would reward the winners of the games as they would step up to the platform as we see in our Olympics and they did also in the Isthmian games. This is the word for reward. And then notice that Paul declared every believer will be judged for their works in life. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The believer will receive a reward or suffer the loss of reward for what she or he has done in their physical body on earth, be it good or good for nothing, worthless, no exception. The test will be by fire, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Uh, wood, hair, stubble, silver, gold, precious stone. The motive of your heart and mind will be the judgment, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. In other words, God will reward me not for what I did, how much I did, but why and how I did it. Did I do it because I love the Lord and love you? Or did I do it because I had a hidden agenda and I love me? The perspective, the attitude, the motive is what God will judge God looks at why people are doing things they're doing for the kingdom of God and how they're doing them. You understand? Now you as a parent appreciate that with your children. You tell them to take the trash out. 
Your son says, oh yeah, dad, I'll take it out. Boom. Next week you ask him, no, I don't want to take it out. I'm like, take it out. Oh, he takes it out. Now, which one do you like better? Which one are you going to reward? It's not insult God. The work will either be judged to be good in the sight of God or good for nothing. Then apart from God's love, agape love. Driving along peacefully in a car, a woman was stopped by a police car. And a cameraman pulled up and snapped a picture of her as the officer was giving her um, this white box. It says, quote, congratulations, madam. The policeman said, you are the first woman to receive an orchid for a safe driving week. We have uh, been following you for some time and want to commend you for your observation of the loss. The picture was... um, in the paper next day with the captions, quote, She appeared quite nervous while accepting the orchid. Uh, nervous was uh, hardly the word for it. Actually, her permit had expired and she was driving without a license. <laughs> now, you're not going to have to worry about mistakes like this in the Bema Seat of Christ. God knows the heart of every person. You're not going to have to say, well, Lord, no, 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 let me get my wife. She'll tell you how it was. Really? <laughs> God will need no information. There'll be no mistake. Nobody will be shortchanged. Not in the reward for Bhima of the Christian or the white throne judgment for condemnation and damnation. What is your aim while you are absent from the Lord living in this clay pot? Is it just to get by? To do as little as possible? Is it to appear genuine while being hypocritical? And don't get me wrong, we all fall short. But there's a difference between missing the mark and just shooting anywhere. Is it to please yourself rather than pleasing the Lord or others? Paul again in Philippians one twenty one says, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. It's evidence of our true love for the Lord. It's like a husband and wife. It's got to be cultivated. It doesn't happen automatically. What are you doing as part of the body of Christ at church? Are you using your gifts? Are you involved in ministry? Are you serving others? Are you growing, maturing, developing in the Lord? How far have you come from when God saved you? God would have you to be a vessel of honor by your own choice. 2 Timothy 2.21 Not dishonor. What will the beam of seed of Christ reveal about your life and mine? Will it reveal that many, if not most of the things we have done, are good for nothing in the sight of God, suffering the loss of reward? Don't get me wrong. You can suffer everything. You're still saved. It's not for sin. For reward, but why would we want to spit in God's face when He wants to reward us? Well, it reveal that many, if not most of the things that uh, we have done, are good and excellent in the sight of God. Well, it reveal that as Christians, we live for ourselves rather than the will and purposes of God. You see, a life that is not in service to God may be a saved one, but it's a wasted life. Because of the potential we have in Christ. This is what you want to hear. This is what I hope to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Luke 19, 17. Forget the reward. Just so I can hear those words. The rest doesn't matter. The perspective regarding their final judgment was in view of resurrection. Now you understand how important the resurrection is? (laughs) Paul has declared the hope of the resurrection through this threefold perspective. The perspective regarding their finite life, we are here a short time. Don't blink. 
the perspective regarding their future death. We will all die unless we're raptured. The perspective regarding their final judgment. We will all give an account without exception. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us of the blessing that comes when you live life to the fullest in the Lord. And if you'd like a copy of today's important study from 2 Corinthians, it's called Spiritual Perspective Makes the Difference. And we're making it available on CD for just $4. And why not request an additional copy of this important study to pass along to someone in your church or Bible study? The title to ask for once again is Spiritual Perspective Makes the Difference. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us next time for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 